about to lose her sons to a debtor, was desperate for the prophet's help. Her last possession was a jar of olive oil. Elisha told her to collect as many jars as she could. Then, God did more than she could imagine. Get ready to be blessed as we see God's ridiculous provision. So we're in the third week of our study of Elisha, and I know a lot of y'all have been taking the... Uh, the daily Bible readings questions, and we have those again today for this week, and uh, hope you'll use that, because if, if all we do is we meet for an hour, I say this all the time, if all we do is meet for an hour and have a history lesson on a Sunday morning, we're actually wasting your time, because we believe that there's a God who's alive, we believe that the tomb is empty, and we believe that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available for individual believers. That's what the scripture says. So whatever your problem is today, whatever your need is today, God can meet that need. God wants to meet that need, but he doesn't force himself on you. So in the study of Elisha, the first week we uh, killed some cows and, and burned some plows. If you were here, if you didn't get that, be sure and, and pick that up if you weren't here that day. Last week we were digging ditches. Today we're going to grab some jars. And I love this story today. <clears throat> this week is for those of you who feel overwhelmed and maybe you don't, you feel like you don't have enough energy, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough whatever your need is, today's sermon is for you. And I pray that, that you'll listen to this sermon and let God minister to you through this story. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Remember that, nothing at all. That's going to come back in a second. Now, we don't know this poor widow's name. There is a Jewish tradition, we don't know if it's true, there's a Jewish tradition that says she was the wife of the prophet Obadiah. If you read about Obadiah, you know that one of the things he did was he hid prophets in caves and he took care of them. He took provisions to them because at this time in history, it was not popular to be someone who followed God, kind of like 2015. Um, and so the, the prophets would speak God's word and that was not popular because the whole nation had turned their back on and that's why God had given them up. Uh, we don't know for sure if it was Obadiah's wife, but we do know that, that prophets were not popular. And we do know that prophets did not make a lot of money. They were dependent upon the people who would come to the synagogue. And if you've got the whole nation turning their back on you, then, then you're not going to get a lot of money. So they were very, very poor. Now, the widow, she's probably in her 30s. We don't know for sure. But we do know she has no possibility of, of any type of employment because women in that culture were unemployable unless they did the job that no woman wants to do. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask somebody later. It's the oldest profession. Um, no woman wants to do that. So she is without her husband. She has no opportunity to make any money. And now the creditor has come to get her two sons. Why? Because the law said, if you had a debt, if I had a debt and then I died, if we lived in this culture, then, then whoever I took the loan from could come and take my son and my son would be required to work until my debt was paid off or until the year of Jubilee. That's another thing that happens uh, every 49 years. And if, if the country is not following God, then the year of Jubilee, they're not going to turn the people free like the word of God says. So Probably those boys are going to be slaves their entire lives or at least until they pay off the debt. And by the way, if they don't pay off the debt, then, then the, loan, the debtor can take 
their children as well to pay off the debt. It's kind of a messed up system. Now, time out for just a second. <clears throat> I need to ask you a true or false question. All right, this is crowd participation. I'm telling you ahead of time, crowd participation. There are two choices, true or false. All right, that's it. It's not a trick question. We sometimes make our own problems out to be bigger than they really are. True or false? Hey, that was good. I should give you 10 seconds or 30 seconds of lead up every time when I want you. Okay, so anybody think that's false? Anybody say, no, I'm not the one that might. Go ahead and raise your hand because your neighbor's going to smack you and tell you that you're lying. Because we all tend to do that. We make our problems bigger. Your problems may not be as big as my problems, but that's what we do is we tend to magnify our own problems. So here's what I, my suggestion. If you think you have serious problems, go with us to Haiti. Because most Haitians I know would, would, would take your problems in a heartbeat. I'm willing to bet the lady in this story, the widow, who's lost everything, I'm willing to bet she would take your problems. And I'm not saying your problems aren't big. I'm just saying that sometimes we need perspective, right? Because we tend to blow things out of proportion. And sometimes it's, it's good to remember that no matter how bad my situation is, it doesn't take long to look around till you find somebody in a worse situation than you, right? All right. We get riled up by things that aren't that big of a deal. For, let me give you some examples. If you ask Siri to give you directions and she leads you to the wrong place again, that's really an entry level problem, right? That's, that's an entry level problem. If you're at a restaurant and you're just devastated because they put too much goat cheese on your salad because you said, I don't want a lot of goat cheese on my salad, and they bring you goat cheese and you're just devastated, that's really an entry-level problem. Eat the goat cheese and shut up, all right? If you're devastated because you only got seven likes on your last selfie on Instagram and no one said, hashtag, you're so beautiful, I can't stand it, and you wonder what that do wrong. Should I've done this side? Maybe I sh- should have done a mirror shot because no one's ever done that before. Or maybe I should have done a duck face because I don't know why you would ever do a duck face. But that's an entry level problem if only seven people said, oh, you're so gorgeous, right? What we've got to decide is if our problems are entry level or graduate level because this lady had a graduate level problem. For example, <clears throat> I'm amazed that in any given week, and I'm not making this up, any given week, I'm amazed at the number of marriages in our church that are hanging on by a thread. One or both of them has said, we're done. We're walking away. And if God doesn't intervene, they're going to walk away. And it's, it's crazy to see that someone betrayed you, someone lied, and what you thought you had, you don't even know what it is anymore. That's a graduate level problem. Some of you have a child that's walking on the wrong path and it kills you because you've been around long enough to know that if they continue down this path, they will destroy their life and it's killing you watching them kill themselves. That's a graduate level problem. Just a few weeks ago, I talked to a young lady out here in our living room and this young lady is devastated financially. She's got no job. Her husband has no job. CPS has been called. They've been evicted from their home. They really have nothing. And they're, so, they're in such a hole financially that they haven't found the bottom of the hole yet. That's a graduate level problem. And then we have a, somebody in our church that, that just went through a devastating pregnancy. And, and there were problems with the, with the child. They knew what the problems were. And lots of us were praying. God did not answer the way we would answer. And the child died. And, and that's a graduate level problem. See, we've got to figure out what's graduate level, what's entry level. This lady was having a graduate level problem. Uh, 
so here's the principle. Here's the first principle. If you have your listening guides or if you're following along on you version, here's principle, uh, the first one. When you don't have what you really want, this is important. When you don't have what you really want, you discover that God is what you really need. My favorite seminary professor said, suffering drastically reduces our wish list. Suddenly, whether you have the latest vehicle isn't a big deal if you have a child who's, who's about to die. If you have a pregnancy that's going wrong, if you don't even have a place to live, if CPS has been called, those are graduate level. And so when you, when you figure out you don't have what you really want, you find out that God is what you really need. This woman is in significant need and she expresses her need to the prophet. And what does he do? Now, I want to first tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, oh man, that's a bad problem. Sucks to be you right now and walk off. I've seen Christians do it. Man, it sucks to be you. I wouldn't want to be you. He doesn't blow her off. He doesn't say, oh, that's bad. I'll be thinking about you. I'm sorry, but if I'm in trouble, if I'm in need, don't think about me. Your thoughts are nice, but they do nothing to change my situation. Get on your knees before God and pray for me. Don't think about me. Don't send prayers my way. I see this all the time on Facebook. Sending prayers your way. And I just want to go, are you an idiot? Because prayers that go to this way, horizontal, are not prayers. They're wishes that you just speak out loud. The only thing that's prayer is when a heavenly father, a God who has all power, who hears him. That's when it becomes an effective prayer. So don't think about me. Don't send prayers my way. Get on your knees and intercede with God the Father who has all power. That's when you can help me or I can help you. It's why every week I ask you to write down prayer concerns because I want to get on my knees before the heavenly father and cry out for you. And, And when we do that, God gets involved in the lives of his people. So what does Elisha do? He made himself available. And if we would do this, it would totally change our church. He asked, what can I do to help you? So you want to make a difference in this world, you get up every day and you say, God, I don't even know who's going to come across my path today, but I want to be used by you. Even if I can't directly meet their needs, I want to be used by you in a significant way to make a difference in this world. You pray that prayer and watch what God does. Because somebody's going to come across your path and they're going to say, you know, I've got a problem or I've got migraine headaches or my husband is driving me crazy. That happens a lot. Don't raise your hands. Um, My kid is going off the deep end. What you say is, what can I do to help you make yourself available like Jesus Christ, the one you say you follow, he would do. Watch what happens next. Elisha asks, what do you have? And I told you to remember these three words. Her response was, everybody say it with me. What was it? Nothing at all. Let's try that again. Her response was what? Elisha says, what do you have? Her response was what? Nothing at all. Now, isn't it interesting that when we're hurting... We don't look at what we have. We focus on what we don't have, right? She was looking at what she did not have. Somebody says, I don't have enough money, so I can't be happy. I don't have a spouse, so I can't have a meaningful life right now. I've heard people say, my house isn't nice enough to host a small group. As if the Holy Spirit can only move on top of granite kitchen countertops, right? Amen? God knows that's the only time he moves because he won't move in the house that has children and toys and stuff thrown around. I don't have what I want. So a lot of people think their lives don't matter. I've known ladies who would walk into their closet and run their hands along all those clothes. And what is it they say so often? Tell, help me out. I don't have anything to wear. You could clothe half of Haiti with what you have in that closet. 
But you're focusing on what you don't have. I don't have anything to wear. That's exactly where this poor woman was. She lost everything and all, all she could see was what she didn't have. So if you're in that situation when you've lost a lot, if you don't have much, what are you supposed to do? A couple of principles here. First thing is stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Elisha asks, what do you have in the house? And she says, nothing at all except what? Do you remember what it was? Except a flask of olive oil. I don't have anything at all. Not true. A lot of y'all are saying, I don't have anything to offer God. That's not true. I have a little bit of olive oil. Well, this one little thing. So stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. Now, what good is, is olive oil? Well, it has a whole lot of uses, especially back then. It was very valuable. Uh, it was used in cooking. It was used to help the lamps burn. It was used as a moisturizer because you couldn't go to Bath and Body Works and have some stuff you squirt on your face. I don't even know what the stuff is. It didn't have that, so you used olive oil. It was used to keep leather pliable. That's pretty cool. It was used to keep an iron from rusting or any type of iron from rusting. It was used as an offering to God and it was used to anoint people in religious services. Because the Bible says, call for the elders of the church and let them come and pray. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let the elders of the church come and and pray over them and anoint them with oil. Well, probably they used olive oil in that, that situation. So it's used in religious services. It's very, very valuable. She didn't have a lot though. She only had a little. So, second point, what do you do when you don't have much? You remember that God specializes in doing a lot with a little. This is God's specialty. He couldn't use us if he needed someone who had a lot of stuff, a lot of talent. You know, he could not use us because he uses people who only do a, have a little because then he gets the glory. Throughout the scriptures, this is consistently what God does. He does a lot with a little. For example, Jesus was teaching one day. He had taught to thousands of people all day long, and the disciples say, send them away so they can go buy some food to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the disciples say, we don't have anything at all. Was that true? Except this little dude's lunch. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And and honestly, when we say loaves of bread, that's probably a mistranslation. It's probably five biscuits and and a couple of little perch. That's, that's the, that was the dinner of the poor. Jesus multiplied it though. He took the little when the boy offered it and he fed 5,000 men is what the scripture says. There's probably women and children there as well. So maybe 10, 15,000 people he fed that day. And when God took what was a little and multiplied it to much, how much did they have left over? 12 baskets full, not little baskets, big honking baskets. God specializes in doing a lot with a little. In the Old Testament, you remember when the Philistines were coming? The Philistines were just bad. And they came up against Saul's army. And and this big dude, what was his name that came out every day and said, who will fight me? Goliath. Y'all remember that story? I'm so proud of you. Sometimes I'm nervous because I don't know how much you remember. So Goliath comes out and he says, who will fight me? And nobody would fight. Everybody was afraid until this little shepherd boy who wasn't even old enough to be in the army comes up and says, I'll fight him. Everybody else is saying he's too big to beat. And David says, he's too big to miss. And you know what he had? He had a slingshot. He didn't even have any rocks with him. He had to stop and get five smooth stones. And he says, who are you to come against the armies of the living God? This day, God will help me defeat you. He destroyed him, chopped off his head, and the Israelites had a massive victory because God loves to use little folks and a little bit to accomplish much. If you were really honest today, some of you would say, I'm low on faith. 
I'm struggling. I only have a little. Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be removed from here to there, here to there, and you will have what you need. We just don't give God what we have. God asked, what's in your house? He didn't say, what do you want? He didn't even say, what do you need? He said, what do you have? So let's start waiting for what we want. And let's start working with what we have. Because God has given you, this is the key. God has given you everything you need right now to accomplish his will in your life. And he's wanting to see if you're going to be faithful with that little bit. We started this church in what is now the Verizon store on uh, Crockett Road. It was Rounder's Pizza right before we moved in, and we were there for six months. We moved from there to over here what is, is, has Landmark School on it. At the time, it was a computer shop, so we had a little, little room next door. That's where our children met, and then we met over here in the computer shop. We were there for a year, and then we moved into the old First Baptist building in the education building. We were too small to go in the worship center because people said, oh, you're going to meet in the worship center. The worship center seats 800 people, and there were 50 of us coming to church. Do you know how bad that would be to be in a big, big old... Uh, cavernous room with 50 people. And even when we had a hundred, even when we had 150, we would have been swallowed up in that place. So then somebody said, Hey, let's, what about the, the skating rink? Now here's the interesting thing. The first time we looked at the skating rink, it was, it was listed at $400,000 for this building, the house next door and 2.1 acres. And the first time we looked at it, we said, there's no way. Well, it eventually came down to $150,000. We were able to get $100,000 to do all the renovations here and over at the house. Here's the interesting thing. And and just this week, this is what God reminded me of. They were asking $400,000 about a year before we bought the place. When, when we were trying to get a loan, we had to have an appraiser come out. We had to write out everything that we were going to do, the sheetrock, the insulation, lighting, everything that we were going to do. The, the appraiser came back and he said, well, when you do all of these things, you know what your, your place is going to be valued at? If you're just guessing, $400,000. So we, we had two hundred and fifty in it, but as soon as we moved in here, we already had equity up to $400,000. About a year later, the, the 2.5 acres over here came for sale. We were able to pay cash for that. God allowed this little church to pay off all of our debt in, about, in a little over five years. God started with what we had, and he multiplied what we had. So now we have 12,000 square feet in this building. We've got about 1,600 square feet over in the house that we get to use. And it's all debt-free. And we have 42.6 acres of land, debt-free. Don't you dare say that God can't use a little to accomplish much. Because I'll look at you like you're nuts. If you say it more than once, I'm going to slap you. In Jesus' name, right? It's got to be in Jesus' name. We offered God what we had. And see, October 11th, we're going to go to two worship services, a 9.30 a.m. service and and an 11 service. Why? Because we're going to offer God what we have. We don't have enough money to build a new worship center. What we do is we have a worship center that's debt-free, that's paid off. So we're going to offer it to God. We're going to see if God builds this church to twice the size that it is now. And if he builds it to to twice the size, we're going to go to three services. We don't even know what God's going to have. We're just trying an experiment. We're going to throw it out there and say, God, we believe you're not finished building New Life Community Church. So we're going to try two services and just see what happens. Some of y'all are going to have to figure out what God has given you because you're going to have to help us go to two services. Some of you think you have nothing to offer, and God says that's not true. 
let's pray not only for the church, but for you individually, that God would do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. God wants to do much through little so that he gets all the glory. He gets all the fame. Now, one more thing. What do you do when you don't have much? You offer God what you have and you trust him to give you what you need. Offer God what you have, trust him to give you what you need. Now, watch what happens in the rest of the story. We're going to start in verse 3, 2 Kings 4, 3. Elisha said to her, to the widow, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. If you're reading the NIV, it says, don't ask for just a few. Go around and ask for jars. Don't ask for just a few. Verse four, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as he was, as she was told. Her sons kept bringing her jars, bringing jars to her. She filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Now, remember, week one, we burned some plows. Week two, we dug some ditches. Week three, we're collecting jars. All you have is a little bit of oil. God says if you'll pour that out in his name, he will continue to replenish what you have. As long as there are empty jars, God will fill it. And, and a lot of people say she, she was blessed according to her faith. However many jars she gotten, that's how many God would fill. If she'd gotten two or three, God would have filled two or three. We don't know how many, but we know that, that the only limitation on God was the amount of faith that she had in collecting the jars. And here's the really good news. Elisha said to her, your debt has been paid. God has provided, your debt has been paid, and you can live on the rest. Man, that's such a, such a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Your debt, your sin has been paid. And God's wanting to use you now. When she offered what little she had, God gave her everything she needed. This is a ridiculous request to ask her to give up all she had for the kingdom. When we show God our faith, we get to see his faithfulness. New life started when a group of people, very small group of people said, God, here's what we have. We had nothing. One individual actually bought our sound equipment because when I say we had nothing, we had nothing. We didn't have a place to meet. We were able to meet uh, the six months rent-free. And then we, we started on June 22nd, 2002. Around July 1st or 2nd, I don't remember the exact date, we were having a small group in our home. And somebody stayed around afterwards, and that wasn't unusual. But after, after everybody else left, they walked up and handed us $2,000 cash. You see, because we couldn't take an offering. We hadn't been incorporated as a church, so we couldn't open up a checking account. We couldn't legally take money. So we're a church that literally has nothing. And they walked up and they gave us $2,000 cash. And they said, we believe in what you're doing. Start this church. Live on this money. About eight weeks later, we got our papers back from um, our articles of incorporation were approved. And then we got our 501c3. And, and people who had been coming had not been giving to other churches, so they started giving to New Life. Now, but only four or five families, that's not a lot of money. And so things were tight. And I've told you this before, but, 
But two times in the first six months that we were a church, the church did not have enough money to pay us any salary. Both times, this was by this time, uh, we were, I had an office over here in the computer shop even before we moved over there. So I was officing one day and the guy walks in and he says to the computer repair guy, he said, why do you have an office over there? He said, well, that's our pastor. We started a church. And he walks out, goes to his car, gets a checkbook, comes back in. I'd never met the guy in my life. And he said, one of the things God has called us to do is to support pastors. Wrote out a check for $1,000 he said, give this to your pastor. And we said, wow, God's pretty cool. And then the next time when, when we weren't paid, guess who shows up again? Same dude. He didn't know the financial situation of the church. He just walked in. He said, God told me to give your pastor $1,000. And I started going, wow. And, and what's crazy is that whole first six months, every time we would come home, there would be bags of groceries by the doors. There'd be fresh fruits and vegetables. People we didn't know were giving us stuff. When we had the, the offering basket, people would put in a gift card for, for Doug and Janie from Walmart, and we would go buy groceries on that. There were even times people you know, would buy our meals so we could go out because we had no money. We couldn't go out to eat. We couldn't go on dates. Sometimes people would just do stuff, and they did it all anonymously. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen, and we learned through that situation that when you give God what you have, he'll give you everything you need. And not enough people live like that. So now as a church, we don't, we don't have any debt any longer. And, and I, can't, I can't wait to tell you this. Last week we had our board meeting and because things were crazy, we, we didn't meet for a couple of months in the summer. So we had our board meeting. And remember, I've been telling you that if you'll give, if you'll give, whether you give to the, to the uh, general budget or you give to bagel, whatever. If you'll give, we'll be all right. So, so we look at the thing and I went, holy cow, we have that much money in the bank. We were able to take from our general fund, $45,000, put it into bagel. We now have $71,000 in our bagel account. Do you remember what we paid for the 38 acres at the end of December? Someone help me out. 69. Thank you for playing. That was close. That was close. $69,000 we paid for this 38 acres. And a lot of people said, you're crazy. We need a parking lot. Eight months later, we're over halfway to having a parking lot because when you give God what you have, God provides what you need. I don't know if you're excited. I'm excited. Somebody ought to get excited because that's a story of a great God taking what we have and blessing it to give us what we need. Anyone? All right. When you stop waiting for what you want and start offering God what you have, special. Elisha says, get a bunch of jars. Now notice, he didn't say what kind of jars. Jars. He didn't say what size. Could have been a butter tub. It could have been a peanut butter jar. I don't know. It could have been anything. What was the one key? What, what was the one thing that the jars were supposed to be? Empty. Empty. So how does that apply to you and me? I'm so glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In jars of clay, do you know what that is? That's our bodies. Do you know what this great treasure is? It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of believers. So we're clay pots. When I told you to say, nice pot. We're car- what makes us valuable, what makes us eternal is not the exterior It's what's inside. We carry this amazing treasure in clay pots. And if we'll let that treasure flow through us to others, 
God will do amazing things. He's looking for a few empty jars. When we empty ourselves of self, when we empty ourselves of pride and empty ourselves of greed and empty ourselves of our own agendas and come to God totally empty, he fills us with oil. And that's always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The reason we're not filled with the Spirit is because we're full of something else. But when we empty ourselves, God fills us up with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly you realize what you don't have outwardly, you realize that God is inside of you and you have all that you need. When you're weak, he's your strength. When you're hurting, the Bible says he's your comforter. When you're lost, he's your guide. When you're hungry, the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life that nourishes you. When you're thirsty, he's the living water. When you're unstable, he's the rock that does not move. When your enemies are attacking you, in the Old Testament it says, he is a mighty fortress. He's a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are saved. You realize I don't have what I wanted, but I've got everything I need because I'm a child of God. Someone came in today empty and lacking and you're going to look to God and today's going to be the day that you make a step forward in your uh, spiritual life following God. Offer God what you have. Trust him to give you what you need because when you don't have what you really want, you'll, you'll discover that God is what you really needed.